0: Real Life Radio is brought to you by the Neurology Center of San Antonio and
1: River City Community Church. Grace and peace to you and welcome to Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean O'Zaro, River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas, as this is a church that exists to help people like you find the real life you were created for. Today we're going to continue this series called The Contrarian's Guide to Real Life as Pastor Sean is sharing a message called The Contrarian and the Ladder. We'll look at how to view your work and do it under the Lord. Before we get started, I'd like to remind you that you can follow along with the notes to this message at reallife.org or catch the podcast later or even view this message on your computer. All the options again are right there at reallife.org. But thank you for tuning into your radio. Here's Pastor Sean with a slice of real life.
2: Well, that's really what we're talking about this series, The Contrarian Guide to Real Life. This is the whole point. God has a totally different way. And like we said, a contrarian is not someone who's just difficult or contrary. They are someone who's not afraid to swim upstream. When they recognize, you know what, the status quo isn't always right. The the masses are often wrong. And a contrarian says, you know what, I'm not afraid to go against the flow if it means seeking and realizing abundant life. Seeking the truth, experiencing the fruit of that truth in our lives. Now, we saw that the ultimate contrarian, at least in my mind, is Jesus Christ, our Savior. He came in such an odd way, an ungodlike way, quite frankly. The humility of it. Um, he came. He came in a day when the religious culture was all focused on the external, and he said, "Nope, time out. It's not about that. It's about the heart." Man looks at the outward appearance; God looks at the heart. Remember, we talked about focusing more on how things are than on how they appear. And that was totally contrary to the religious culture of Jesus' day. They were all about cleaning the outside of that cup, man. Get it looking good. And sadly, in religious circles, we're still kind of like that. We still overemphasize getting the outside cleaned up. Because that's what we have to see and deal with. When God starts on the inside and he says, Clean the inside. The outside will actually take care of itself. It will get clean. But... When God works, he often works in a different order, in a different priority list. He he just works differently than we do because he's God and we're not. Once we resolve that, by the way, that's a really good thing. If you could just get that over with. He's God, you're not. It really takes a lot of pressure off. And so that's what we're talking about. Jesus said, hey, we're going to start on the inside, the heart. We looked at wisdom, contrarian wisdom, and we saw real wisdom is God's wisdom, and it's very different from the world's wisdom. And we looked at some specific ways in that. Last week, and boy, we got a lot of feedback on this one, uh, we talked about marriage. <clears throat> and we saw that the secret to a happy marriage is to make the marriage part more important than the happy part. And that really, God does want to give us fulfilling and joyful marriages, but sometimes the way we get there is very contrarian from what others around us are walking out. Now today I want to talk about the contrarian and the latter. And I'm going to talk about our, our work. Okay, This thing, because we do a lot of work. We spend a lot of our time, 40, 50, 60 hours, maybe more a week at work. And the question is, why do we do that? Why do we spend so much time at work? And some of you look at me, well, because me and my kids have this addiction to a thing called eating. We're just weird about that. Several times a day, we're pretty fond of a meal, you know? So we work. Well, that's true. But really, why is it that we go and so often throw so much of our life into this without really thinking about it? That's what the reference to the ladder refers to. And you know when I talk about the ladder, one of my favorite statements about the ladder, climbing up the ladder, whether that be the corporate ladder, whether that be the ladder of professional career advancement, this idea that, man, I'm supposed to keep going up. I'm supposed to be upwardly mobile. I'm supposed to keep climbing higher. And one of my favorite sayings about that is just the idea that how, of how sad it is To get to the top of the ladder and realize it was leaning against the wrong building the whole time. You got to the top of something, you go, you know what? I'm not sure that this was worth getting to the top of. What is it about this ladder, this idea of climbing more, having more, being more, getting more higher, growing up higher, higher? What is it about that? I think there's some assumptions we make. You know, the assumption that there's things are better up there. There's more money up there. And that may actually be an accurate assumption. I don't know. There, there's more money, but then we say, because of that, there's more joy, there's more fulfillment, there's more freedom, there's more empowerment, there's all these things. And and the simple question is, what if that's not true? What if those kind of things are more a product of the person than the position? What if when I get to the top of the ladder, I'm still me? And I'm not this some kind of this transformed kind of different person because of just climbing the ladder, but that I'm just still me and all of the baggage all of the stuff all the fears all the doubts all the stuff is still there even though i climb the ladder see those are the questions that we have to ask because folks this isn't this isn't a game we spend a lot of time at work and understand something our life is made up of time our life here on earth is time we all got 24 hours a day that's it and we've got a limited number of days and so we ought to take a look at this real seriously and make sure That we're not missing some contrarian wisdom when it comes to work. Now, there is a biblical illustration for me when it comes to work that is just fantastic. It's I call it the tale of two kings. And the Bible, I am convinced, did it on purpose. Put Saul and David right next to each other. And they had the same job. They went to the same kind of work every day. They had the best job in the world. How many of us have wanted to be king or queen, right? You know. Ladies, don't tell me you don't want to be queen, okay? I've seen you walking around here. I know how it is. Oh, Lord knows I want to be king. They had the best job in the world. They did it right next to each other in the Scripture. So we have this, this analysis, this comparison. And I have to tell you, what we see is in every way Saul is listed as an example of man's way and David is listed as an example of God's way. Now, you remember the whole thing, how this even came to be. The people went to the prophet Samuel and said, we want a king. Everybody else has a king. We've had the, they had the judges. They had prophets who brought God's word. But they didn't have like a real king. And they looked at all the nations around them and said, well, they all have kings. <laughs> Why can't we have a king? I mean, can you imagine what they're asking for? And God, he, even, God and Samuel had this conversation. Because Samuel was like a little bit bummed. It's like, well, God, I've kind of been their leader under your leadership, God why are they rejecting me? And God said, no, no, Samuel, don't, don't be confused here. They're rejecting me. They're rejecting God. They wanted a human king like everybody else, because it wasn't enough to have God be their king. Israel was always designed to be a theocracy. God, or yes, human leadership under, but God as the leader. And so he said, no, no, they're rejecting me. But Samuel, we're going to give him what they asked for. And so they gave him a king. And, and God told Samuel to choose this guy named Saul. And Saul was like textbook king. In the dictionary under king, there's like a picture of Saul. He was tall. He was good looking. He was a good warrior. He just had that whole king thing working. And so they select him. Now, one thing that you see about Saul throughout his whole life, he had this self-consciousness about him. He really did. If David had a God consciousness, Saul had a heavy self-conscious. And you watch through his ministry, it was always about him. And there's a story that kind of culminates this whole thing in 1 Samuel 15. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I'm just going to summarize the story for you. But there's a verse, there's a response I want you to see from Saul that kind of highlights what I'm talking about. In 1 Samuel 15, God tells Saul, I want to judge. There is a people who have been evil on the face of the earth, and I want to bring judgment to them as the Amalekites. And I want you to do it. I want you to destroy them, Saul, completely. I want them destroyed. And so... Saul and the army of Israel goes, and they have a war, and they defeat the Amalekites because of God's strength and God's provision for them. But instead of destroying everything, they go, well, there's some good spoils of war here. There's some good livestock, we'll keep that. There's some good stuff, we'll keep that. Saul, for whatever reason, keeps the king alive. Whether it was bragging rights, whether it was negotiation, whatever it was, he didn't do what God asked. So, we read in that passage of Scripture that the prophet Samuel comes to see if God's Word had been obeyed. And Saul, it's kind of like almost like a kid who realizes, uh, you know what? This doesn't seem like such a great idea now. I probably screwed up. And so he goes out and tries to do some damage control and, see, and greets Samuel and goes, Oh, Samuel, I've done what the Lord has asked. And Samuel, with some beautiful biblical sarcasm, goes, Really? Then why do I hear sheep bleeding? <laughs> he seems trying to shut up the sheep and samuel's not playing he says saul god told you what to do and there he sees the king standing there the one who had perpetrated all this evil the one who god wanted to judge samuel takes a sword and does what saul didn't do and he takes a sword and he drives it through the king kills him right there on the spot and they're all like holy cow man of god gone crazy here and he tells him saul god gave you everything and because you have blown him off you're going to lose your kingdom god told you what to do you didn't do it you are going to lose your kingdom god has chosen a man after his own heart and listen to saul's response saul's disobeyed god he's lost his kingdom the same prophet that pronounced he would be king is now pronouncing he will no longer be king In first samuel 15 beginning at verse 30 saul replied i have sinned that's good He confessed his sin. That's good. But, it's going downhill already. I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. See, that was what was supposed to happen, a big praise and worship celebration after a victory like that. And they were going to sacrifice to the Lord. And it was a big show. It was the big thing that the king did after a battle and and saul all he can think about is samuel come help me make a good showing and we're told that samuel did it he went back with saul and saul worshiped the lord but saul also lost his kingdom and we know he lost it to a young man named david now david was totally different he was overlooked by his own family he was overlooked by the king he was overlooked david was this young boy who nobody really thought should be king or could be king, but God had selected because the scripture says he was a man after God's own heart. So David becomes king. You know the whole story, David and Goliath. You know how that all happens. Saul chases David in the wilderness. Over After a number of years, David doesn't, in fact, by God's hand, become king. First thing he does is he returns the Ark of the Covenant to Israel. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was this, this cabinet, this sacred relic. That was the very symbol and essence of God's presence among his people. And in all of Saul's reign, it had never been in Israel. It had been taken in battle years before, and it had never been returned to Jerusalem. And Saul never thought that was a problem. David, the very first thing, he's obsessed, because the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be in the tabernacle and the Holy of Holies, and the very presence of God rested on it. Then David's like, the first thing that has to happen is the presence of God must be reestablished among his people. And so he goes back and gets the Ark of the Covenant. Now we're told, when David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant back, there's this huge worship celebration, right? It's like this big processional. And David is worshiping the Lord, and he doesn't care. He's not into the whole king thing. So he peels his kingly robe off, okay? Now he's not naked or anything, but he's got like an undershirt and shorts on, like it's this robe, this ephod type, this robe that he would be wearing. It wasn't the type of thing a king went out in, Okay. He's just, but, but he can't dance in his kingly robes. He can't worship. And so he throws this off, and he's just leading this processional, totally giving himself to praise and worshiping God. We're told that his wife, who, by the way, was Saul's daughter, who was given to him when he defeated Goliath the giant, Saul's daughter is kind of like the old man, actually. is watching from a window. And says she despised David. She was embarrassed. Because he was pretty unkingly in this worship service. And she's like, it doesn't make us look good. It doesn't make you look good. And it says she despised him. When, she, when he gets home, she lays into him. She says, my, how the king distinguished himself in front of servant girls, in front of everybody, by throwing his robes on. And she lays into him. Listen to David's response.
1: And we'll hear David's response in one minute. As we'd like to remind you, you're listening to Real Life Radio, a service of River City Community Church. And this program is underwritten this week by the Neurology Center of San Antonio and Dr. Ann Bass, located at 1314 East Ontario Suite 601. And the phone number is 490-0016. As we take a short break in this message called The Contrarian and the Ladder, more Real Life Radio to come.
2: Hi, I'm Sean Nazaro, pastor of River City Community Church. River City called A Church for Real Life, and we've been in San Antonio helping people discover the life they were meant to live for the past 13 years. I'd like to invite you to check out our new 1 p.m. service at our Redland campus. It's the same great music, practical biblical teaching, and ministry for all the kids, just at a new time for those who like to get a little later start on Sunday mornings. Another new feature of this service is translation headsets for our Spanish-speaking friends. River City Redland is located one-half mile inside of 1604 on Redland Road and Jones-Maltzberger. Our Sunday service times are now 8, 9.30, 11.15, and 1 p.m. River City is a multi-site church and also has campuses in New Braunfels and on the northwest side of San Antonio. Go to reallife.org for location and service times. We look forward to meeting you and helping you get connected with others on the road to real life. This is Real Life.
1: Welcome back, and we return to Pastor Sean Azaro of River City Community Church in this series called The Contrarian's Guide to Real Life, and this is Real Life Radio.
2: 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 21-22. David said to Michael, his wife, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. In other words, I was dancing before the Lord. And he says, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. I will be humiliated in my own eyes, but by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. I don't think there could be two people, same job, right next to each other. There couldn't be a greater difference in these two men because with Saul, it was all about him. David was serving a whole different king. You see, David served God. Saul wanted God to serve him. Saul wanted God to help him up the ladder. And that's where when we start getting this contrarian thing, we, we got to dial down a little bit. Because I don't know about you, but a lot of my upbringing was kind of this idea that I'm supposed to climb up the ladder. I'm supposed to get more. I'm supposed to have more. I'm supposed to do more. And it's about more. And in, it's real easy in our Christian theology when we hear Jesus wants to give us abundant life. go, okay, Jesus wants to help me up the ladder. And so we can really try to make God my servant in my quest to climb the ladder. God, give me a leg up. God, help me in that meeting. God, that client, boy, if I got that sale, that would really make my year. God, I want that position. God, please do this for me. And And we can almost see the motion of rubbing the genie's lamp start to develop. As we start to try to use God... Like a genie in a bottle or in a lamp to to say, God, come out give me three wishes. And we start using God instead of, like David, serving God. It's real easy to get into kind of the rhythm of Saul and just say, God, I'm supposed to go up the ladder. Give me a leg up. And here's... The message I want us to grab onto this morning. Very simply, I want us to say no to the ladder and yes to the leader. No to the ladder and yes to the leader. See, that's the contrarian wisdom when it comes to work and career. Very simply, say no to the ladder and yes to the leader. And understand, it's not easy to say no to the ladder. Because everybody in your world is cheering you up with that ladder. Your parents, your siblings, your kids, your friends. Come on, go more, get more, be more, do more. And saying no to the ladder is kind of putting the brakes on a pretty big cultural thing here in the U.S. of A. We kind of have that go up the ladder as that's the American dream. That's my God-given right. That's my birthright. And when we say, you know what? Stop. Maybe that ladder's leaning up the leaning up against the wrong building. Or maybe it's not worth going up, at least not in that way. I'm going to trust the leader instead of the ladder. Knowing that Jesus did say, by the way, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came to give you life and that more abundantly. Knowing that he wants you to be blessed. Knowing that he wants you to prosper. Knowing that he wants you to have a full, rich, abundant life. But this is, big, this is the big faith thing. Am I going to get those things by the ladder? Or am I going to stop and put my trust in the leader instead? Because most of us, if left to our default mode, will, without even thinking about it, start trusting the ladder. Because, well, that's just, it's easy to define and understand. Every, anyone can tell me what the next rung of the ladder is for me a little more challenging to say you know what I'm not going to climb the ladder I'm going to follow the leader and that's a big faith decision do I trust the abundant life that the leader promises more than I trust the allure of the ladder contrarian wisdom says say no to the latter and yes to the leader now there are some contrarian views when following the leader number one find joy in the journey find joy in the journey i know we would say that makes good sense and we understand that and yet most of us don't live like that we live like joy is around the next corner joy is around the next bend when i get to that next place when i get here when i graduate from this when i get past this when i acquire this then i'll have joy And the wisdom of Scripture is simply, no, 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 find joy in the journey because the journey is one where God's presence is leading and guiding and directing. There's a book in the Bible in the Old Testament called Ecclesiastes. Most conservative scholars believe it was written by King Solomon. They believe he wrote the book Song of Solomon in his youth, the great love poem He wrote the book of Proverbs in his middle age as he was right deep in the heart of leadership. And he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes in his old age. And in Ecclesiastes, which means the preacher or the teacher, he writes, and it's a man who claims to be king of Israel, have been king of Israel. That's why we believe it is Solomon. But he writes about all the various things he tried to find fulfillment and joy. All the pursuits of the flesh, all the pursuits of the world, and how at the end he says it's meaningless. It's really about worldview. The book of Ecclesiastes is about worldview. Am I going to be have a God-centered life or a self-centered life? And the book of Ecclesiastes talks a lot about work, so we're going to quote a number of scriptures from Ecclesiastes. I encourage you to read that book. There's some dark aspects to it. It's all meaningless, it's all vanity but you have to read the whole thing and see where he ends up because at the end he does realize there is something greater. But Ecclesiastes 2.24 says this about work. A man can do nothing better than to eat, drink, and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? Eat, drink, and find satisfaction in his work. When God is present, I can find joy in my work, no matter what it is that I'm doing. Ecclesiastes 5.18, he wrote this. Then I realize it's good and proper for a man to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given him. This is his lot. Moreover, when when God gives any man wealth, his possessions wealth and possession, excuse me, and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and to be happy in his work. This is a gift from God. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. God wants your work to be fulfilling. Now, some of you are sitting here going, uh, John, you don't know what I do. My job is a grueling daily regiment Down to the bowels of hell and back. But I do it because I got to make money, right? Because of the whole eating addiction thing. We got to have some meals, so I do it. If you are convinced it is impossible for you to find joy in your job, it is so outside of what you think you could find joy and fulfillment in, then I want to suggest you maybe you should find another job. Maybe, by the way, You could find joy and fulfillment. Maybe there is purpose and life there to be had. But for some, it might be that truly, I am in something that I hate so much, I don't even remember how I got here. I just took it because it was the first thing I found. And it might be that you need to begin taking the steps to say, you know what, I need to find something different because there's no way I can find joy in this. I do want to challenge you on something. When God is present he brings the fullness of joy and it is possible to find joy and fulfillment in your work it is in fact god's desire and his lot that your work would be something that at the end of the day you would find satisfaction in not every moment of every day please understand every job has one of those days right it just shouldn't be every day seriously I absolutely love my job. I really do. You know, we planted this church, so I kind of got to help shape it and make my own job. I absolutely love it. But there are days when I have to do things, I go, I don't want to do that. Darn it, you do this. (laughs) There are days when, and I work with the greatest people in the world, but sometimes they are pain in the neck there i said it they've even said that i on some days am a pain in the neck now i don't believe that i don't think that's true how can that be i, I don't I, true true story i absolutely love the people i work with but i don't care who you work with i don't care if you work with the most beautiful wonderful people in the world there are, everybody has their days it's gonna happen but i just want to challenge you it's not supposed to be every day
1: You've been listening to Real Life Radio, a service of River City Community Church, as next week we'll continue this look at the contrarian view of the workplace. But make sure you visit reallife.org where you can download the podcast to this entire series or watch the video of this message. And, of course, you're always invited to visit River City Community Church, located at the corner of Jones-Maltzberger and Redland Road, about a half mile inside Loop 1604 on the north side of San Antonio. And if you'd like to call the church, the number is 490-5262 as Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church and underwritten this week by the Neurology Center of San Antonio. And we hope you join us again next time for more Real Life.